I don't know the future. I didn't come here to tell you how this is going to end. I came here to tell you how it's going to begin. I'm going to hang up this phone, and then I'm going to show these people what you don't want them to see. I'm going to show them a world without you. A world without rules and controls, without borders or boundaries. A world where anything is possible. Where we go from there is a choice I leave to you. Welcome back to Keanu Believe It, the Talk Film Society podcast that is all Keanu Reeves all the time. I'm Sam Van Heron, assistant editor at TFS and a lifelong fan of the singular Keanu Reeves. I will be your guide through his diverse and interesting career. Each week, a guest and I discuss a film from his filmography, which we're working through in chronological order. On this episode, we'll be discussing The Devil's Advocate. Uh, I'm ha- happy to welcome back Sean Beebe to discuss the 1996 uh, horror film. How's it going, Sean? It's going pretty good. Uh, it's good to have you on for a movie that's actually fun to talk about, uh, apart from our last one, but we won't get into that. Uh, so we are. We already did. We did. Uh, so uh, clearly, you like Keanu. We again, you've explained that on the previous episode, so we'll be able to just dive right into this. Uh, so I assume you've seen the, uh, the Devil's Advocate before coming on this show. Multiple times. I've had the original pressing DVD since uh, probably 2002. Nice. So uh, I take it you're a fan then? I am. I am. Uh, it, I think the movie gets a bad rap just because of uh, Al Pacino's late stage career choices, which I'm sure we can get into later. But uh, I, I honestly think that the reputation that Pacino brought to the movie kind of overshadowed the quality that was actually there. Yeah, which is weird. But I honestly, I mean, yeah, Pacino's obviously going. That's not to knock Pacino. Right, He's a sure. very good actor. Yeah. He just later in his career, he took to volume over nuance. Right. Uh, and I think, honestly, it works, which we'll, you know, we'll get into that. I think it works to the benefit of this movie because I feel like if it wasn't pitched at this level, it wouldn't work. Like, it's, it's the fact that it's absurd that makes it work. Oh, and it has to be played for the cheap seats if it's going to land at all. For sure. Uh, yeah, so for those. Uh, unfamiliar with it, uh, it came yeah it came out in 1997, uh, and it uh, ba- so it's basically uh, might as well get into it. Uh, it opens with uh, a young girl giving an emotional testimony in a courtroom about uh, being abused, and I you know based on what we're recording, uh, it feels you know incredibly timely. I mean this kind of thing has always been unfortunately timely, but you know given current uh, environment, it's, you know, it still plays incredibly well in terms of being very upsetting. And it's upsetting on multiple levels. It's not just the fact that Keanu Reeves plays the high-powered defense attorney who tears her apart on the stand, mm-hmm. but the fact that her testimony that they open the movie with is so... It's harrowing to sit through for an opening scene of a movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and Heather Matarazzo uh, plays it really well. I mean, she's only in this scene and then again, which we'll get into, but uh, she does a great job of just being devastated. Like, there's no way you wouldn't believe her. And the fact that then we have to go from Keanu, who at this point has basically been lovable and everything, 
uh, to like just rip her apart. And it's really, yeah, it's shocking to see, especially at this time in his career when he wasn't known to be able to, you know, pull that off. And he does a great job. I agree. I agree. I think that um, the, the whole scene is, is staged really well in that, you know, they, they establish very quickly that this is not a particularly good person mm-hmm. that, that Keanu Reeves is playing. Right. Not not because he's a defense attorney, but because he's willingly obfuscating the truth by including details that aren't necessarily relevant. Exactly. Like he, uh, you know, starts talking about uh, that... Uh, well, and for, first, let's get in, while she's giving this testimony, just again to show how no one should be defending this guy at this level because of the fact that he, while she's telling this harrowing story about her abuse, he's like getting aroused by it. Like the, her, the, the yeah, defendant, defendant, the defendant yeah. is getting yeah. aroused. <laughs> Not yeah, yeah, let's, that. Yeah, let's be that clear. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so this teacher is getting like basically aroused by rehearing her story, and it's so like, and he sees this and. Uh, you know, he, he, they call a recess. He goes into the bathroom and starts like clearly being troubled by this. And like, but the fact that he's still going to go through with it shows that he's very, a, a very different Keanu character. Very amoral, if moralistic at all. Right. Uh, and then, so yeah, he goes back in and then just, uh, again, this is, Keanu does a great job of, um, yeah, he's clearly upset by this, but he's still going through with it. And so, uh, yeah, he's he's almost he's almost redirecting his disgust at his own client toward the defi- toward right. the uh, the victim. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, there's this great like when he's in the bathroom. There's this great shot of him doing a very uh, again. This shows you the kind of uh, tone and uh, you know feeling of the movie that it's very again. It's played very. It's played straight, but at the same time, it's aware of its of the ridiculous and trashy nature of it. Uh, and there's just a shot of him doing this like fake smile that's showing like, you know, put on a smile. You gotta, you gotta win this case. And it's, uh, it's been memed a lot and it's, you know, it's, there's a, but it's still, it's effective in the scene. It is effective in the scene. And it's an interesting choice on his part, Uh, along with uh, his Southern accent, which does fade as the movie goes on. Right. Uh, so back in the trial, he, you know, basically tries to discredit her by saying uh, that she's made, she made this up just because she wanted to kind of fit in with the other kids about like she was uh, basically, you know, shaming her for, uh, you know, being basically having participated in some kind of sexual act in her past. So that means that she couldn't possibly be uh, telling the truth here. And it's, yeah, it's just really painful to watch. It, it really is. But again, Keanu sells the scene along with the other actors in the scene, Heather Matarazzo and, uh, Car- and uh, Chris Bauer. Right. From uh, The Wire and lots of other stuff. But yeah, great actor. But again, just be good at selling this super trashy human being, you know, quote, human being. But uh, yeah, so basically uh, he convinces the jury to uh, be, you know, to not convict uh and then this is when we reveal like, they're out celebrating and basically it shows that he's never lost a case. Like he's in this uh, small Florida town, but he has, you know, he's basically gotten a reputation for never losing even uh, allegedly no win cases like this one. Yeah. I mean, he, he, I think they even talk about the fact that the DA 
think, thinks of every case that he has as like a slam dunk, and then here comes Kevin Lomax. Right. Uh, and so then they're out celebrating. Uh, this shows that, like, uh, it basically goes cuts right from, I think even the last shot in the courtroom is of the girl being, like, compl- or uh, just being devastated by this. Uh, and then it cuts to them out, like, having shots and being really happy about it. And uh, his wife, uh, Marianne, played by Charlize Theron, uh, is, like, you know, it's kind of that she's also, she's, you know, she's not necessarily happy about the situation, but at the same time, she's, like, glad. She's just, she doesn't, she's, like, tries to ignore the reason that they're becoming uh, rich and uh, respected just because she wants to be, you know, uh, she just likes having the attention and being, uh, you know, having the success. Yeah, she absolutely buys into the success without really worrying about the source at all. Uh, I mean, there's even a part where this... Uh, this guy, I can't, I can never remember. I, I even just watched it and I can't, this character, um, he's like, I think he's a, is he part of the law firm or something? Like the, basically the guy that's like, uh, he's like an associate from the firm. Yeah. But he's like, almost like, a, uh, you know, playing the devil's advocate quote, you know, like where he's like kind of saying this is, should we be celebrating about this? Like, uh, and she's like, let's not talk about the case. Let's, uh, you know, let's move on. Um, but, like, that character kind of, uh, he comes back into play in a big part later. But, uh, yeah, basically he's just one of the other uh, attorneys in this firm or something. But not important. But, uh, yeah, so while, he, while they're celebrating, uh, a lawyer from New York City approaches them, basically offering a chance to... Uh, come to New York and help with a jury selection case. Uh, and it's clearly this big, you know, huge, powerful firm in New York. Uh, and he jumps at the chance to do it. Uh, and it's very, you know, very much encouraged by uh, his wife again. Right. Because it's, you know, it's their chance to get out of the backwater. Right. And to move up to the big leagues where they think that Kevin Lomax could really shine. Right. Uh, yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to say, just because his talents are so far above what he's surrounded by. Right. That, you know, he sees New York as the goal. Sure. Essentially. Yeah. And then, uh, so they, uh, right before they head out, they go visit his, uh, mother, who's a, you know, Christian fundamentalist at a revival church, because of course it's, you know, the, this is a, you know, backwater part of Florida, but, uh, and she kind of warns them of, you know, typical, like, first you just think, oh, she's, especially if this is the first time you've seen this movie, she's just like, oh, she's just this crazy, you know, uh, mom just thinks that this is, you know, bad because that's what uh, country people are supposed to think. But uh, she basically, you know, warns them of the dangers of uh, New York and they just kind of dismiss it as, uh, oh, that's just what she's like. But uh, maybe they should have listened. They had- they they add surprising dimension to that character mm-hmm. as the movie goes on too. Just just from what they learn about her from other people, right? Uh, so yeah, then they head to uh, New York, uh, and then it cuts just uh, right into the heart of them. Uh, I mean, of Kevin uh, working a jury selection, and he's clearly very gifted at this part of the job. Like uh, again, it's never really explained. Like he's very much just like he's great. It's it. But then we do understand why later. But uh, basically, he, they play they play it off in the moment as kind of like a sixth sense or an intuition right. kind of thing. 
yeah, so he kind of just, uh, he, so he does a good job of selecting, uh, the firm, um, the, the guy that is the jury selection person for the firm, he's kind of doubtful of this, like, who's this kid, who's this hotshot, uh, I'm not going to listen to him, and he basically says, uh, if we lose, it's on him, uh, but then just cuts to the next scene of, they won, you know, like, that's, he did a good job, uh, they, the jury was successful, they didn't convict, uh, and then that leads to the introduction of John Milton, uh, played by Al Pacino, who uh, is, you know, immediately invites him to uh, join the firm. Uh, and then I love this sequence of him going to the uh, firm for the first time. It just shows uh, it's just really unsettling uh, from the bat. Yeah, every moment of that is very unsettling because they, they have, you know, the individual floors for every partner. Mm-hmm. And then they take you to John Milton's personal... I mean, it, it, it feels small to call it a penthouse. Oh, well, that's... Uh, we're ju- that, that, that is later. Yeah, right. that, that is when he makes the right. offer. Uh, but yeah, the that, yeah later on. But yeah, but like even just the uh, the office building like the uh, in New York is like... Uh, it's all marble and black. It's basically all marble and like, like black countertops. And, uh, and then he takes them up to his uh, office and there's this really great uh like uh balcony that has like an infinity pool it's all angular uh, and it immediately looks like uh you know this could be this very much could be the devil's uh law firm <laughs> like uh oh very easily like something is amiss the moment you walk in the door mm-hmm. uh, yeah and it's just really i mean uh taylor hackford is the director and he does a pretty great job of uh you know he's there's a lot of shots at odd, uh, discomforting angles. It just keeps you off balance, uh, in every scene. Uh, honestly, I mean, given his other movie, he's, he's not a, he's kind of just a, you know, known as a journeyman director, which is fine. But at this, at, uh, this seems to be his most interesting in terms of, uh, visual dynam- dynamism and everything. Oh, agreed. It is his, the camera movements and the, uh, just the in-frame effects, and imagery are much more evocative in this movie than I think anything else he's done. Uh, yeah, and I, I just love this first scene between uh, Keanu and Pacino because uh, it's just great to see those two characters known for, again, for be- those actors being known for uh, giving it all they've got in every scene, even if it doesn't work necessarily. But just seeing them play off of each other is just, it's a, it's a joy. And it is kind of a surprise to see Keanu hold his own so well against Pacino. Because Pacino, up in that, up, at, up until that point in 1997, was known as a fairly iconic actor for his time. And Keanu was still trying to shake off the surfer boy kind of uh, reputation that he had garnered from things like, you know, Point Break. Right. Especially, yeah, especially in 97. Like, this is still... Uh, I mean, even, you know, we're in, we're, we're happy to be in the, uh, Reeves Renaissance right now, but at, yeah, at the time it had to have been, uh, I mean, the movie didn't garner great reactions at the time either, but, uh, I think looking back now, it's clear that he does a really good job, uh, like you said, holding his own. Yeah. And then, uh, so basically he accepts, uh, to join, uh, the firm, uh, him and, uh, Marianne moved to New York, uh, or they're already there, but they like, uh, just move into this. Uh, and this is where we get to the scene where, uh, they go to this apartment where basically, yeah, all the partners 
live in the same uh, apartment building where they each basically have half a floor. Um, and th- this is where they're like very quickly sucked into it. Uh, Marianne is like st- at this point is still very like excited at the fact that they're living in the big city. They're you know moving up in the world uh, to the point where even as she starts getting a little weirded out by how friendly these uh, attorney and his wife are, uh, she's still kind of willing to go along with it, even if it makes her a little weird. Yeah, it's. I think it's almost from the way she plays it off. It's kind of a you know I'm letting you be the guide here because I'm unfamiliar with the territory. Right. Uh, kind of a kind of an approach. Yeah, for sure. Uh, even though she even though she might know better in other circumstances, she also understands that these women know how to navigate New York better than she does. Well, yeah, you know, but both both socially and geographically. Yeah, I think both her and uh, Kevin are doing. You know, are basically like at this point they're just it's a new city. Uh, we're not used to being around people that are, you know, the elite and it's gonna They're just going to, there's going to be some adjustment and that's just how they kind of react to everything in the first act. That it's just like, Oh, it's just part of, uh, you know, going along with it. And the audience feels the same way. But then again, when I first, uh, before I saw this movie for the first time, I had heard that it, you know, that it, uh, was a bad movie and everything from this and that. And, uh, so before seeing it, I mean, I really didn't know anything about it, and I didn't realize just how committed it is to the fact that this is about the devil. Like, it's this is not a subtle, uh, maybe it's a devil movie. This is like full on, he's Satan, and this is weird stuff. <laughs> yeah, they, they don't even try for like a Rosemary's Baby like parallel. It's just like, yeah, this is the devil, and he runs a law firm, and he owns a bunch of buildings. And uh, he's uh, super evil. Yeah, and it's uh, and it's completely believable. Like I, yeah, I'd understand that. Like in this situation, it's like sure, the devil's an attorney. Why not? Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. Uh, Why wouldn't he? Yeah, be? exactly. Uh, yeah, and so this is when uh, and they talk about how yeah, this building that Milton lives on the top floor, like in this tower, in this penthouse is yeah, not really a penthouse. It's like it's great once they get to this. Uh, so basically, they have a party at. Uh, the uh, what's that actor's name? Uh, oh, it's Jeffrey Jones. Yeah, Jeffrey Jones is one of the head. He's the managing partner of the firm. Uh, and they go to his. They go to a party. Uh, you know, and this is when Marianne starts being very, you know, uncomfortable. She's like, you know, don't leave me alone with this. But again, it's just almost at this point. It's just she doesn't want to be left alone with these rich attorneys that she doesn't. These rich people. Glamorous people she doesn't know. It's just, yeah, it's, it's just as much a fear of just being alone at a party with no one you know, as much as it is, you know, being alone at a party full of people you know you stand out in a group of. Right. Uh, and so basically, you know, it says, don't leave me alone here. Uh, but again, he immediately does, because that's how this, this is the kind of movie it is. Uh, so he, uh, you know, she's left alone with all these people that are, uh, but then again, like, they're... This is when she starts to realize that something is weirder than the fact that they're just rich people. Like, this is... Something's amiss here. Yeah, the, 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 there's a bit too much uh, conspiring going on for just people who are just rich. Right. Uh, and they're not... It's not... I mean, yeah, everyone talks... And there, this is very much like they're openly talking about, you know, maybe covering things up. You don't hear full uh, ideas, but there's like little whispers of, oh, yeah, we could... Uh, you know, do this. Here's the Republicans of the 
uh, of New York. And, uh, and there's even a line of, uh, Donald Trump was supposed to be here or something. So, uh, he's not, doesn't appear, but they, again, pretty much every movie in the new, you know, in the set in New York in the nineties and two thousands would mention Donald Trump at one point. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, you know, if, if, uh, home alone Two lost in New York would give him an actual cameo. I think that this movie would be, you know, remiss to not me- at least mention him in passing. Right. Es- especially in connection with the literal devil. Exactly. Uh, uh, yeah, they get separated, and uh, basically Marianne's stuck talking to uh, John Milton, and Kevin ends up uh, alone with uh, one of the main... Uh, att- yeah, er- I skipped around a little bit, but earlier in the movie, he's uh, introduced to all the uh, attorneys of the... And there's this very, you know, uh, Connie Nielsen playing... Uh, What's her name? Um, Christabella. Christabella, that's it. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, immediately she's like just very, you know, sedu- it's very much a seduction, uh, almost like, you know, she's, it's her classic uh, morality play Christian, you know, uh, like seductress. Well, yeah, I mean, they, they play her up immediately as a complete 180 from Charlie Theron's character mm-hmm. from Marianne. Because you have Marianne, who is the supported him from the beginning, down home country girl, and then here's Connie Nielsen, who's this alluring polyglot power broker. Right. Yeah. Just and yeah. She's very you know very self possessed. She's very you know she's speaking multiple languages. She's uh, you know very you know very accustomed to this uh, New York uh, experience, and she. Even like one of the first lines she says to him is, you know, I live downtown uh, in the, uh, you know, this is a family building. Uh, Basically, like, uh, this is what you want. You know, this is the exciting, exotic life that you came to New York for. Exactly. Uh, And then, yeah, and then Marianne uh, is talking with Milton and Milton begins, you know, kind of, you know, openly flirting with her and telling her that her hair should be, you know, different, like saying that it's lovely, but, it, you know, it's kind of like nagging her, like saying like, you know, this isn't you, you should pull your hair back and like, you know, do it now. Uh, and he's like, I would do it myself, but then everyone would assume we're fucking like, that's the kind of, again, that's the pitch that this movie's uh, going for and it. Uh, it just works. Yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of funny to see just how subtle, John Milton is portrayed in terms of influence, mm-hmm. but but he loses all manner of subtlety in interpersonal relations. Right. Yeah. It, I mean, it, it, it's funny to see him deal and move around like he's moving pieces on a chessboard, but might, meanwhile, he's also telling somebody directly to her face, if I pushed your hair back, people would think we were fucking. Right. Uh, you know, it's, it's just an interesting dichotomy that they lend to the character, which, I mean, it's... It's subtle and unsubtle at the same time within the same scene because he's not actually saying, I want to have sex with you. He's just like, he's, he's, what's the word? He's, um, he's insinuating the possibility that people will assume this. So denying any interest. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, So yeah, after this, uh, she starts looking for Kevin again and, uh, it turns out, you know, Kevin, uh, is invited up to his penthouse uh, to discuss something major, uh, and this is where we yeah we finally get to look at his penthouse, and this is a really interesting. It's basically just one room, like 
Uh, it's all very creepy. Uh, there's this big stone tree carving, uh, and you know, immediately Kevin realizes that like there's no other rooms, there's no bed. You know, he's like, uh, you know, where does he sleep? And someone says, who says he sleeps? So this is where, again, once the second act kicks in, it starts throwing any kind of subtlety out the window. It's like, no, we're getting into it. This is uh, clearly something supernatural or weird is happening, but Kevin's going to be kind of denying it just because it's one of those, you don't accept it and my career is going well, so I'll just roll with it. Right, like in the moment, like in in the moment when you're successful, who cares where it comes from, kind of a thing. Exactly. Uh, yeah, and it just the production design in this sequence, especially in this uh, penthouse, especially is uh, impressively, uh, you know, gaudy and creepy. Uh, it's I like it a lot. Yeah, it, it's it's far too open and cold to be welcoming to anything. Exactly. Uh, especially and, as a living space. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, and then this is where we're told of the big uh, case that will be, you know, for the rest of the movie. Uh, basically, one of their big clients, uh, land developer, he's basically a Trump. Uh, I mean, so the fact that they mentioned Trump, uh, and now we're going to this guy who, uh, Alexander Cullen, played by uh, an unusually smarmy uh, Craig T. Nelson. Uh, I mean, as an actor. Uh, <laughs> let's say that. Uh, but... Uh, yeah, I mean, so basically he's uh, accused, uh, he was found in his apartment uh, with the bodies of his wife, his stepson, and uh, a maid. And uh, so basically, like, the idea that, uh, so Eddie Barzoon, played by, uh, again, played by uh, Jeffrey Jones, uh, is immediately like, he's going to take this case because he's the, you know, head honcho. Uh, but then Milton says, no, we're going to give it to Kevin. And he's like, uh, so this is, He's like, can't understand that remotely, and Kevin's a little wary too. Like, I can't take this big of a case, but uh, you know, and P- Pacino does this good job again throughout this movie of doing that, like where he's not really commanding anyone to do anything. He's basically just presenting these things and see how they play out. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of like uh, he's he's the kind of guy who just sees all the angles and lets them play out the moment he puts something out there. Exactly. Uh, and uh, so Keanu says, like, are you going to let this, you know, out of your fingers? And Keanu just dives in and says, okay, like, picks up the phone and says, no, we'll be handling this. Uh, and then this is, again, this is when everything starts uh, spiraling out of control. And the, I think the real key here is that the the... the the status of that spiral, like how far things have spiraled is emblematic in how far apart Kevin and Marianne become as the movie goes on. Right. As they become isolated from each other and from basically their marriage, that they become yeah. further and further enmeshed in this weird mind fucking head game that John Milton's put them in. Right. Uh, and yeah, so he goes back to his apartment uh, and she's, He's all ready to be, like, excited about it and, you know, tell her about the big news. But she's just pissed off at him because he, uh, rightfully so, because he abandoned her. Uh, and, you know, again, this is where he's just realizing that he's not he's not a great person because he's, like, very dismissive of uh, her anger and her, like, why would you possibly be upset? Uh, but, again, and 
just the way this scene is lit, like as he comes in the apartment, there's like a red light coming in from the hallway. Uh, and it's just very, it's all like, again, no subtlety, but it just, it's very effective in terms of when it takes that turn into being a full on psychological horror film. Yeah, it, it's it's actually incredibly effective. Excuse me, incredibly effective uh, from the midpoint on, just because of how well Charlize Theron sells her side of things. Because she is she is effectively very subtly terrorized by both John Milton and everyone else in the firm right. from the moment she gets off the plane. Yeah, and uh, I mean, I think the you know the the script and the it kind of underserves her a little bit. She's very much you know like let's see how bad things can be for her, and it's. But she just, she's so good as an act that she, obviously, this is one of the movies that made her, uh, you know, very sought after. Because she's just, she does a great job with uh, not super well written or flattering character just because of how, again, like you said, how well she sells the, just despair and terror she's going through. I mean, every concern that she has from the get-go is completely dismissed by both John Milton and Kevin. Mm-hmm. To the point where they're basically gaslighting her before we really had the word for it, right? I mean, even the this uh, the wife of uh, one of the main attorneys that she she's basically the one she her quote friend uh, Jackie is basically like uh, fucking with her mind because like there's this part earlier in the right. movie where uh, she's trying to pick out paint for the even something as simple as that where she's picking out paint for the apartment and she's like that's not a good color that's not a good color and then she's like. But it's your decision. So clearly just, yeah, making mm-hmm. her feel that she's going insane. Yeah, uh, Jackie Jackie Heath played by the wonderful Tamara Tooney, right. uh, who was very well known for a long-running uh, supporting role on Law & Order for a while. Yeah, yeah. She does a good job of being both like, uh, you know, kind, like she seems like she's a nice, bubbly person. But then every once in a while she'll like say something that's very scary like it, 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 it shouldn't be like something about it as simple as like uh it's your house do what you want with it it's just like she does a good job of being very uh conniving it, it's it's that kind of like i don't want to say passive aggression but it, it's it's almost passive aggressive and then it's like well how about green mm, no green looks terrible how about yellow no you look washed out blue no well it's your house do what you want yeah, uh, it, it, it's that kind of like uptown New York, you know. Oh, you can wear anything, kind of thing. Where it's like it sounds like a compliment, but you know it's an insult, right? Exactly. Uh, and then, and then we go straight into the fact that she's something's wrong with her because uh, while Kevin's working the case, uh, Marianne goes out dress shopping with her, and this is where we see Jack. Like this is where it's like, okay, this is the kind of movie it is. I'm into it. Uh, it's where her face turns into a demon face. Like, okay, I get it. This is and it's only in passing too. Right. It's not, it's not a lasting shot. It's it's like a glimpse of a demonic face. And then it's like, Oh, okay. I guess maybe I just, you know, shadow or something. Yeah. And, uh, instead of like just moving along with it, she confronts it. Like she goes right to talk to Kevin, tell him, and he just thinks she's, uh, losing it. He even says like, maybe you're drinking too much or something. Uh, but then, uh, and he again, blames it on a haircut. Yep, <laughs> uh, he does. And then uh, again, just this is this is this, the whole second half of the movie is going from one scene of like upsetting shit to upsetting shit. Like 
uh, we, it starts getting more surreal and uh, odd. Like, because while they're arguing, they said, okay, let's make a baby. And then they start having sex. And then he starts seeing uh, Christabella's face over her periodically through the scene. Uh, and, like, at first she's kind of saying, like, let's... Uh, Christabella starts kind of saying, like, let's do, you know, gross... Let's do uh, some kinky shit or something. And he's, like, kind of... He's fighting it at this point a little bit. He's like, uh, no, I'm not going to do that. Like, uh, leave me alone. But then he's still kind of... It's a very, uh, again, everything is just unsettling in the second half of the movie. Yeah, it, like that. that's one of the things that Hackford's pretty good at setting up with this movie is he's good at setting up one expectation and coming at you from the side with something you never really saw coming. And not necessarily unsettling you with it, but making you wonder, like, is that has that been there the whole time? Sure. Then uh, we cut to him, again, working this case, the Cullen... Uh, case, uh, and he's up in, and this is where it gets really because uh, Colin's apartment looks like Trump Tower, like it's all gold and marble and it like kind of which just tacky looking. Uh, so I can't help but think that this is very much he's supposed to be a Trump character. Uh, oh, no question, no question. I mean, between the real estate development, the multiple wives, the mm-hmm. infidelity, the just general smarmy gross, slimy nature of the guy. Right. Uh, and uh, as he's talking, they discuss the fact that, like, Kevin starts to be very suspicious of him, but again, he's used to this. He's used to representing clearly guilty uh, people, uh, and uh, they go through his alibi, and this is where we reveal that his main uh, witness is his secretary saying that this is, you know, uh, where it's a little, maybe just that he was working late or something, so he couldn't have been uh, at the apartment to murder. Uh, and then we later find out that he's, you know, sleeping with her. Uh, and this is going to be the, uh, you know, the in for Kevin to win the case. Uh, but before that, uh, they go home, and this is when Kevin's mom is visiting. Uh, and immediately as they're, like, coming in from dinner... Uh, Milton shows up, and she's clearly immediately wary of him. Maybe even it's recognition, we're not sure yet, but uh, she's, like, very much, like, even she even, like, says hello and then walks over and, like, hides next to uh, Marianne, and something's up here. Yeah, from the moment she that she meets Milton, it's almost like... Uh... I mean, they, they play it off in the scene as, like, oh, she's a crazy fundy who thinks everybody's the devil. Right. And then we later find out, no, she thinks he's the devil because we know that she knows that he is the devil. Right. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and uh, in the morning, immediately she, oh, before that, so they're in the elevator and there's this moment where, uh, like, Christabella and this, uh, you know, very attract- other very attractive woman are hanging off of, and they start, like, looking at Kevin, like, almost, you know, and they're, like, holding each other, like, making out almost, and... Uh, it's like, again, it's another temptation by, uh, Milton to like, let's go up and let's start like throughout the movie. He's hinting of ideas of like, let's make that final turn into being, uh, you know, one of us, uh, and to Kevin's credit, he doesn't fully, uh, dive in, but he definitely wants to. Right. Exactly. And, uh, and that, and that's enough. Right. For uh, that moment. Yeah. 
and in the morning, uh, you know, her his mom uh, again, like she's being very suspicious. She's like, I have to leave. Uh, take care of your wife. I'm leaving. Uh, and he can't understand this again. This is, but it's part of you know Milton's game where he got Kevin to be very focused on this case that he's not paying attention to the clearly upsetting things happening in his uh, personal life. And again, that's what hints at that he's kind of a bad person. <laughs> and the more and more that, Ke- that Kevin uh, neglects his family, his marriage, you know, the, the, the life that is what's keeping him, you know, at least a, a toe in the good side of things, the more and more that he neglects all that, the more and more his accent fades over time throughout the movie. Exactly. Uh, it, it, it's almost a one-to-one comparison. Yeah, it's in, a in, in that term. Yeah, I appreciate that. Uh, it's a good. It's a good. I feel like that's a good. Uh, you know, very Keanu thing to do. But he does it. He just he pulls it off really well. Um, Ex- yeah, because the, the more that he loses the connection to everything that makes him good, the more that he loses himself. The more that he loses that accent. And I think that's an interesting choice on his part because it's definitely a Keanu choice. Yeah. Uh, and this is where, again, this is now, uh, Marianne's life begins just becoming, uh, it's just a hellscape. Like, uh, Milton takes Kevin out of the town, uh, to a boxing match, you know, again, showing the glamorous world of New York. And, uh, there's a Don King cameo as himself, which that's cool. Uh, (laughs) little random, but okay. Yeah. Uh, but while this is going on, this is when uh, Marianne has a full-on, just, you know, nightmare vision of, she's like, here's a crying in her apartment, and there's a baby literally playing with her organs. Like, that's the, her ovaries, like, yeah. Yeah. That it's was, very that trashy. Was very but, twisted. Right. But this is just a glory, it's just, throughout, just a gloriously trashy supernatural thriller, and I... Can't help but be charmed by its uh, just how gross and weird it gets. It, it leans into almost every bad taste choice that it can, script wise, mm-hmm. but it's shot so much like almost like a John Grisham thriller. Yeah, <laughs> in that like every every court every courtroom scene is shot very matter of factly. You know, there's witness, lawyer, judge, jury, and then you know that they, they have you know the the, the cut the cuts back and forth for conversational pace basically yeah and then everything else is just shot like here's a baby playing with some organs and uh, yeah so Kevin comes home and finds it really visibly upset and just traumatized uh, Marianne like and, you would be yeah who wouldn't be uh, and he tells you know he says like it's just a dream there's no blood anywhere uh, but then she tells him that she went to the doctor afterwards and he said that she's basically infertile and her ovaries don't work. And so it's like, clearly that's, you should be thinking that that's a very weird coincidence, but instead he's just saying, no, my wife's crazy. Uh, calm down, Marianne. You're being hysterical. And it's like, uh, yeah, just, she's clearly the only one that is like, uh, grasping what's going on. And they just think she's a crazy person. And then obviously the people that are in on it are going to make him, you know, give credence to that. Like, yeah, she is nuts. It's fine. Yeah, and then there's that, there's that, it's a, it's kind of a smarmy monologue toward the end of the film where John Milton just says, like, at any moment you could have left. Right. Like, under what circumstances? 
right. they, they went they went out of their way to make everyone seeming to be you know crying foul seem crazy right uh yeah and then uh this is where uh, the next scene is where Colin admits that he was uh you know sleeping around with his uh secretary but and that like a pre- we get a motive here that like because a prenup would have given her made her rich if uh, they proved infidelity uh, so this is why he could have killed and this is where Kevin starts realizing that he's probably guilty uh, and uh, and this is where Milton again Milton does give him throughout the movie says gives him an out like he's like but he knows that Kevin's not gonna accept it like he's gonna go for it uh, the thing the thing about Cullen and the murder though is that Kevin realizes that he's lying about the affair with his secretary. Right. The, the, like they're the, the secretary he's putting on the stand is not who he's having the affair with. Exactly. Yeah. That's the thing is like, uh, and then Kevin sees this and is like, he's like, Oh, she's lying to me about the affair. Like while he's preparing her for it, he realizes that she's just getting paid to say that. So what kind of, what kind of person does that? Like makes up an alibi that's makes him look like a terrible person because what he's really doing is much, much, much worse. Yeah, it, it, it's no longer putting out a uh, vigorous defense of your client at that point. Exactly. Uh, so, but he goes through with it anyway. Uh, he, uh, Kevin admits that this witness is a liar, but just puts her on the stand anyway. Uh, and Colin gets off. Uh, and he immediately, it's the classic thing where, like, he's clearly guilty. We don't know why exactly yet, but... Uh, and, uh, but I like, but when they're doing the scene, uh, in the trial, uh, there's this great shot of like the walls of the courtroom are black. Uh, so there's these certain shots where, uh, Kevin is giving his, you know, opening statements and it's literally just him and the audience like on a black background. And so it makes it again, look like this almost like twilight zone or like, a you know, straight up, this is a. He might be in hell right now. Like it's, I really enjoyed that shot. It's a great shot. Uh, and uh, yeah, and then uh, so it gets Colin off, uh, and then Barzoom after this, you know, kind of confronts Kevin, uh, being ups- kind of jealous that he's, uh, you know, rising so fast, uh, basically threatens him. And then the very next scene, he's uh, Kevin goes to tell. Uh, Milton about it, and then he says, there's this great, where he calls his secretary and says, uh, get Eddie Barzoom in here, but he doesn't say, like, bring him here, he says, get him, like, meaning kill him, and it's like, mm-hmm. and then uh, there's this, again, there's these weird, where he's jogging, and then there's, like, these invisible forms chasing after him, and then a couple of homeless men beat him to death, like, uh, but basically, yeah, uh, we're seeing now that, yeah, he's the devil. This isn't uh, a metaphor. This is straight up, he's Satan. Yeah, I mean, when, when, you, when you put your hand in a holy water font and the holy water boils, <laughs> that's usually a good indication that you are not of this plane. Right. Uh, and something I missed the first time I saw it that I caught in this rewatch was uh, that, Mer- that he's being, mur- that uh, Barzoom gets murdered right outside, like in the park of their, of Kevin and Marianne's apartment. So she witnesses him getting murdered. Uh, I didn't catch that the first time. Neither did I. It took me a second watch to actually catch that. Cause it's a little, I, I honestly think it's a little unclear because they, they cut to her and maybe it just thinks that she's like feeling it because she's throughout the movie. She's kind of had a sensitivity to the, 
malevolence, but it is supposed to be that she's witnessing him being just that drives her more, you know, just drives her more uh, unstable. Uh, I mean, reasonably so because she's right being terrorized by demons, but uh, it's but, just but, one but at more that thing. Point, at that point, it's just two birds with one stone because you get rid of Barzoon and then you know Marianne absolutely goes over the edge at that point. Right, uh, and then although that although that doesn't mean John Milton stops. Exactly, uh, but yeah, and then uh, after you know, so after the case is finally over, Kevin returns home, and this is where uh, Mary. There's this really the one, probably the most iconic, famous scene from this movie is uh, him and that you know Charlie Theron ran basically ran uh, in a bathrobe to a church, and she's. Uh, just crying and you know almost incoherent, and uh, she reveals that he. This is where it gets you know Rosemary's baby, where she was you know raped by Satan. Uh, also, maybe the trashiest moment in the whole movie, for sure. Uh, just 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 because of how the reveal is staged. Yeah. Uh, so she tells him this that uh, you know that you know Milton came in and you know so she says something about like for some reason I wanted it at first, but then. Uh, you know, he would, he kept attacking me and she's like, he basically says, uh, and he believes her a little bit at first cause like he kind of was wary of Milton, but then she says that it happened at the same time while he was in court, uh, with Milton. Uh, so again, he just thinks that she's, uh, losing her mind. Yeah. And then of course the trashy moment of the scene comes around where she, Disrobes, yeah, fully naked with claw fl- mark, claw scrapes all over. Yeah, it's- claw marks, bruises, like every evidence of a possible assault that could be there. Basically, you know, from a cursory glance, is there. So yeah, just pure trash. Like he, you know, he says like, "Oh, you're why did you do this to yourself?" And then immediately has her committed. Yeah, uh, n- never, never mind the fact that her back is scratched up as well. Right, like how did? Yeah, how? Come on, Kevin. Let's think. Let's let's be real here. Uh, yeah, it's, it's and, and and that's not to say that we should like you know I'm I'm not going to get into a thing where like we disbelieve anyone. Oh no 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 stuff. Like, I'm I'm not saying that. I'm just saying like every moment that he had where he could have believed her just went zooming past him. Right. It's yeah. It's not a good look for sure. It's uh, not. No. Uh, so yeah, and there's just just. Uh, but uh, Keanu and Charlize are really great together. Like in the early scenes. Uh, they have obvious chemistry, and then it just... So the fact that this... It's all very uh, upsetting. I don't know how much... Uh, it's, it's very effective, you know, emotionally, too. Like, you feel bad for both of them, and it's almost like... I feel like that's a lot of credit just due to how good they both are in these roles. Uh, so any, when any, any lesser actor would have completely wrecked that scene. For sure. Uh, so as they're... Uh, you know, having her committed is genuinely... Uh, just you know, just very upsetting. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, and then this is the funeral scene where he you know, goes to Barzoom's funeral, and this is where we're revealed that the real reason Cullen Cullen's at the funeral, the real reason Cullen uh, killed his wife and stepson was so he could because he was sleeping with his fifteen-year-old stepdaughter, which is so much worse. Exactly. It's and that's almost something I I missed again. I'm, First to watch, I, I mean, I. It's very clear that he's now. Uh, it, it almost seems like he's uh, taking it as an opportunity to now do it, but it. I 
kind of it pieced it together in this that it's no, it's supposed to be. That's why he did it. Uh, also, also, further detail that makes him a Trump allegory. Exactly. So, wow, this is very, yeah, very prescient devil's advocate. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and then, uh, so Kevin sees this and is completely disgusted by it. Like, what did I just make happen? Uh, so he storms out of the uh, funeral, uh, and he's clearly already upset because of everything that's happening with Marianne. Uh, so this is when he's really realizing that I've been an idiot. Like, I should have been picking up on these signs before. Uh, and he uh, goes outside, and uh, a guy from the Department of Justice is waiting for him and starts telling him about that Milton's involved in, you know, drug trafficking and human trafficking and gun, like everything bad you can think of that he really should have picked up on earlier. Uh, but then he's kind of just ignoring him. But then he really reveals that he says like the teacher that he got off in the beginning of the movie was found with the body of a 10 year old girl in his trunk. Uh, and then, so then he, that finally stops him like, okay, maybe I should do something about this. But then immediately the fed is hit by a car and killed. So, uh, and this is where Pacino really lets that dials it up to 15, you know, where he's like, Oh yeah. Uh, looking at the camera, uh, Eyes bugging out of his head. Yeah, putting his hand in holy water and being laughing. He's like, I mean, throughout the movie, he does this kind of like cackling, almost you know, Beelzebub laugh. But he like really cuts loose here, and it's just so much fun to watch. It is. I mean, as trashy as the movie gets, and it gets incredibly trashy. Al Pacino's performance is a lot of fun here. It's maybe the last time the screaming Al Pacino. You know, the memed Al Pacino <laughs> performance is, like, actually fun and interesting to watch. Right. Um, and, again, it just works because of that elevated level of the movie. Uh, but, uh, yeah, like, he's literally just acting to the camera. It's stupid and absurd, and I love it. <laughs> no scenery goes unchewed. Indeed. Uh, so, after this happens, he uh, goes back to his wife. Uh, and this is just, yeah, this is just... Uh, if the ending didn't happen the way it did, this is just going to made me uh, really upset because, like, just unnecessarily mean to uh, Marianne. Like, uh, he he goes anyway. Before that, uh, he goes to the hospital room. Uh, his mom's there, uh, you know, reading the Bible to Marianne, trying to comfort her. Uh, and then she finally starts admitting the reason she was weirded out by. Uh, Milton at the beginning is because uh, she starts telling the story. Uh, but before that can happen, uh, the evil like, attorney from the, the woman from the, uh, from the law firm gives Marianne a mirror uh, and then shit goes south. Real fast. Uh, I mean, she's straight up like, so, uh, and there's just, just, again, this scene between Keanu and Char- it's just really devastating uh, of Keanu trying to, you know, bash his way through the door as she's about to slash her throat open. It's just really, uh, this is another thing where, uh, I can't understand why people think Keanu's a bad actor because he really sells the despair of this scene. Yeah. He's so desperate to get through that door in that moment. And you understand why, obviously, but he, I keep saying it, but any other actor wouldn't have really, put their shoulder into that scene as much as he did. Yeah. I mean, he's like tears pouring down his face, like just 
actively like just looks like you know full on ugly despair cry and it yeah it's just it's upsetting stuff so 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 upsetting uh and then this is when we yeah and then after this he like he's covered in her blood uh goes to talk to his mom like tell me the final story and she reveals that uh say that Milton was is his father uh basically that when she came to New York she lied about never having been to New York uh and that he was a waiter uh you know basically tricked this innocent 17 year old Christian girl from Florida uh into uh you know she says that no one's ever talked to me before uh, you know it's your classic uh devil seduction where uh he preys on a lamb you know like even she, she says that twice like uh a wolf preying among the lambs uh i think the exact i think the exact uh line from scripture is i send you out as sheep among the wolves right exactly um which is what gives Kevin that that moment of like stopping in his tracks because Milton says that line to him almost immediately before. Yeah, uh, and then yeah, I, I think my favorite part of the movie though is definitely these last twenty five minutes uh, where it's just now it's not even any subtlety that was there is completely gone now. Where like he walks out the building, uh, going to confront uh, Milton, and New York is now abandoned. Like the streets are completely. Desolate. It was almost like it gave me a kind of like a St- Stephen King The Stand vibe, where it's like very apocalyptic and it's uh, you know just completely empty. And again, everything's shot at weird angles, and it's uh, I don't know. It just becomes really uh, over the top and uh, delightfully wicked. Yeah, the the imagery starts out really subtle. You know, like the like you said, the streets are empty. There's no one there, and as he gets closer and closer to Milton's. I, I, for lack of a better term, penthouse. Right. Everything just starts falling into place, both for him and, I mean, it, it's already fallen into place for the audience about a half hour earlier at this point, but it, it's becoming more and more real yeah. in scene mm-hmm. uh, as he gets closer to that penthouse. Yeah, and then it really delivers on the this scene where he confronts him. is it really delivers on them both being, again, just swinging for the fences, chewing scenery, and just being, uh, saying you know, kind of pretentious, uh, spiritual gobbledygook and stuff. And it's just, uh, I just, I, I remember the first time I saw it, I remember rewatching the scene again, just because of, uh, how over the top they're being. And they go fully over the top on that too. Indeed. Uh, you know, Kevin pulls a gun, uh, shoots at him. And then this is, you know, fully like he's now admitting that he, who he is and, you know, bullets unfazing him. Uh, and there's, but then even again, I like this where he says, uh, this is where he reveals that he's the reason Kevin is great at being a, uh, garbage defense or really great, uh, evil defense attorney. He's cause like, I says, because you're my father. And then there's this great, one of my, probably my favorite line reading, but from Pacino where he says, I'm a little more than that, Kevin. And it's just like, again, I, I love him being over the top, but in that line, it's just a really great. Uh, Pacino line delivery. It's not him screaming, but it's just really effective, and I just like that line a lot. Yeah, all of I think I think all of the trashiest lines really get put into Pacino's mouth, but he's such a good actor that he sells them as in the moment, just being like kind of a lech that people, because he's such an over the top lech, just kind of dismiss. 
And yeah, and as well it should because it's you should give those lines to Pacino because he's Al Pacino. <laughs> like he ba- he basically plays the literal devil as that uncle you try to steer clear from at Thanksgiving. Yep, <laughs> really well put. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and you know, and he says again like vanity is my favorite sin. All these yeah, there's all these lines and uh, he and then he reveals that Christabella is his half sister. Uh, basically, he's. Uh, and his big plan is to have Kevin and Christabella make the Antichrist. Uh, basically, like he says, I've had m- many children. They've all been disappointments. But now I finally have, uh, you know, you and let's make this happen. So, again, uh, demonic incest is definitely trashy. So, so I mean, yeah, I mean, it, Keanu is literally like inches away from becoming a flower in the demonic attic. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, he has a moment of conscience here, <laughs> right? <laughs> which is so weird. I mean, any any other moment, it would have been like, oh, we have to get out of here too late. You know, no, he, he goes way past too late to the point where it's like, is there even a point in asserting a conscience at this at, like now? Right. Uh, and I, I really like uh, just the again, it's uh, ridiculous, but like the way he talks about. You know, like God's an absentee landlord, but like again, as as absurd as it is, it also kind of is one of the they do a good job of uh, the devil being kind of telling the truth, right? Like he's uh, it, it makes sense what he's saying, but at the same time, he's like also wants to be evil. But like it's there's a reason he's the you know uh, the deceiver because he can like he sells it to you in a convincing package, like you know. Uh, that, you know, God's a bad father, like, so we should just do whatever, you know. He says, I'm the last humanist, like. <laughs> right, uh, like, I mean, come on. Come on. Uh, yeah, and then, uh, but this is where we start. Kevin's, like, seemingly buying into it, uh, like, accepting that, okay, might as well. Uh, I'll make the Antichrist if I'll be famous, or if I'll be powerful. Um, but, uh, and then this is, again, like, the statues on the stone on his stone table thing start coming to life and it starts like bleeding out and becoming like weird spirally mist and stuff like this is where it yeah it's it's almost basically it it basically becomes the portal to hell from exactly uh from from dante right and his name is john milton so again no subtlety in this movie not at (laughs) all not at all uh, Although, in- interestingly enough, the production actually got sued for its use of that sculpture because they did not license it from the artist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I, yeah. in in subsequent home releases, they had to remove it digitally. Yeah, I've heard. It. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, and uh, the yeah the production of this, I didn't realize that it was based on a book, and you know, this very uh, like I think even that book got a little bit in trouble for like being kind of based on. But anyway. Uh, uh, so yeah, this scene uh, where he, uh, so again, Kevin like seems to be accepting it. Uh, he's about to like, make it out with his half sister, you know, as you do. Uh, the, the, and then he, but at the last second, he says, uh, you know, free will, right? Uh, and then shoots himself in the head. Uh, and this is, you know, and then this scene of this is when you know Petunia starts just screaming incoherently and being like. Going full devil, like his eye, he's like arching his eyebrows, and it's you know very Faustian and it's weird, like operatic, and uh, 
you know, the lighting starts getting basically like dimmer and dimmer yeah. and dimmer. And his sister turns into ash and there's all this CGI swirls and things. And it's, uh, again, and then it's, it was all a dream. Well, yeah. Is it a dream? Yeah. Cause he, you know, sort of, his eye, uh, and it wakes up in the bathroom again. So that basically everything we saw after that bathroom scene till now are wiped out. Uh, but it's, I mean, he kind of has memories of it, right? Like he, because he does the right thing now. Like he does what he should have done in the first place, and uh, you know, quits as, attor- as his attorney at risk of uh, disbarment. Uh, so it's a little unclear if it's supposed to be a dream or if it was just like a uh, that he reset and got another chance at it. Yeah, it, it, that much is a little unclear just because of the very final shot, which is of jo- the journalist turning back into John Milton. Right. Tempting tempting Keanu all over again. Right, yeah. The new thing is going to be, he's like, oh, you did the right thing. I'll make you famous. Uh, because you, you know, stood up for basically like a new, uh, a different take of uh, corruption to like, uh, to use this as an opportunity to become uh, new fame uh, and yeah, and then the final line of him, he straight up breaks the fourth wall now uh, and says, you know, again, repeats that vanity is my favorite sin uh, and play and then blast cut, uh, paint it black. Uh, I'm surprised almost they didn't go full just sympathy for the devil. Like, you know, well, that would have been too obvious. Yeah, that's too on the nose. Yeah. Yeah. You, you don't want to go too trashy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that does it for, you know, pretty much does it for devil's advocate. Uh, I I would recommend this to anyone who hasn't seen it. If you've heard the bad, I mean, it's not, it's, it's supposed to be like this and it's supposed to be this level of weird. And, you know, again, we probably take a shot for every time we said trashy in this podcast. Yeah. You'd be dead by the end of it. (laughs) But, uh, I, I I don't think this movie is going to be showing up in any of the actors involved, uh, in memoriam. Right. (laughs) <laughs> but it's it, it's definitely worth watching for at least a different angle on all of their performing styles. Yeah, and I mean, again, if you like Keanu and you like this kind of, uh, you know, trashy supernatural thriller that happens to have like, and it's about lawyers being devils, like, yeah, you're gonna you're gonna have a good time, and it's perfect for this season too. Like, it's uh, again, it's way more entertaining than a movie about Satan as a lawyer has any right being. Yeah. I mean, it, it basically, it's basically played out and played off as though Dean Koontz and James Patterson wrote a John Grisham novel together. <laughs> yeah. Well put. Uh, so yeah, I think it's worth, yeah, definitely worth checking out. Uh, if you're looking for, a, like you said, like a different take from uh, unexpected version of Keanu. I mean, cause the development, he was originally, uh, he was supposed to be in speed too. Um, before that's the, a bullet dodge. Yeah, but he, he basically didn't want to, at the time, he like didn't want to do action movie after action movie. That's pretty much always, you know, he's known as an action star, but really, there's like the big ones, and then he does interesting things in between. Uh, uh, so, I think he made the right call there, because Speed 2 is a disaster of a thing. Oh, God. Uh, but honestly, but part of that, again, it is a, just a really bad movie, but uh, at least him and uh, Sandra Bullock have chemistry, but... That's not here, they're there. I think he made the right call. Devil's Advocate was a good choice. 
Oh, given, given the choice between this movie and Speed 2, it's this movie all day. For sure. Great. Uh, thanks so much for being on, Sean. Happy to be here. Uh, and thank you all for listening. Uh, join me next time where a very exciting episode where we'll be discussing The Matrix. Uh, until then, keep being excellent to each other. Bye.